All right, so welcome to part three of our service, of our series that I called, Why Was I Born? And today we're going to talk about the question of how do I get out? How do I get out of a situation that I'm in? I started this series in the beginning of the year just simply to talk about and ask the question, you know, why was I born? It's one of those questions that a lot of us ask over and over again throughout our life. And the reason we ask that question is because we just kind of sometimes we just want to understand what's our purpose? Why was I created? You know, what, what am I here for? And so when you begin the new year, it's kind of good to, back, to go back to kind of that simple question of, you know, why was I born? Because maybe if we can understand a little bit about why I was born, we may be able to understand a little bit more of my purpose in life or why God created me. You know, some of us, the truth is we left 2018 probably feeling a little discouraged. Maybe some of us left 2018 wishing that things would have ended a little bit different or the year would have brought some more changes. And So it's easy to leave a year feeling a little bit discouraged. Or maybe some of you left 2018, but you had a great year. You had a tremendous year. You're excited. And you just hope to continue that momentum into 2019. Or maybe some of you are here today and you don't even really know if Jesus is real. You're not even sure if this whole thing about God even makes any sense. So you're here just exploring. And you picked a good Sunday to come to, to, to church. And hopefully you'll learn a, bit, a little bit more about God's purpose for your life and God's plan, uh, not just for your salvation, but also to bring you freedom in your life. So I hope and my prayer is that all of us leave today encouraged with this new expectation that God is going to do something in our own personal life, but also in this, in this community. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I started the series, and I just asked a simple question, does God have a purpose for my life? Is there a plan, or is life just random, that maybe things will happen, maybe they don't? And so I, we talked about King Solomon, who was the wisest man, according to the Bible, and King Solomon had everything going for him. He had all the brains. He was a wise guy. He had power. He had prestige. He had possessions. He had the best positions in life. He had it all by the world standard. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he finishes the book and he says, all of this is meaningless. All of it's meaningless. And he ends the book by saying, the only thing that is important in life is just to obey God. He summarizes his whole life experience by saying, you know, it's not in brains. It's not in possessions. It's not in your position. It's not in pleasure. None of these make a difference. He said what life just revolves around is just knowing God and having a relationship with him. And that is the simple definition of what is our purpose in life. And that simply is to know God and to know who he is. And last week we talked about, you know, so does it even matter how I live my life? Does it even matter the decisions that I make or, the, or what I do in my life? Does it really matter the outcome or is God just going to automatically do things for me just because he had a plan for me? And so we talked last week a lot about the verse of Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of us know this verse. We know it well. It's such a popular verse that says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope and a future. And we often read this verse and we get really excited because we're like, yeah, I want that. I want good things to happen in my life. I, I'm excited for a good future and I'm excited for hope. But we sometimes forget to read this verse in the context of the entire chapter. And see, in this whole chapter, it's not about God's just going to, it's just not, see, we read this verse and we often think, okay, if this is going to happen, God's going to take away any, any difficult things in my life, take a, any, any hard situation in my life, and once he does that, then I'll be happy and have hope. And what this whole chapter is all about, it's about the fact that God can make, has good plans for you, 
And God can give you a hope in the future in the midst of any circumstance that you're dealing with. That everything doesn't have to be going perfect in your life in order for you to have hope. But that God is more powerful than any circumstance in your life. And so it's an encouraging chapter just to know that no matter what is going on in your life, that God is busy doing something in your life, even when you can't see it. And that brings us up to today's message that we're simply called, you know, how do I get out of the situation? How do I get out? Because some of us, the truth is, we feel trapped in a situation. You might feel trapped in an issue, or maybe you feel trapped in an obligation, or you feel trapped because of something that's going on in your family, or one of your kids, or in your marriage, or, or something. And you're looking at the situation right now, and you're saying, God, I do not even know how I can get out of the situation. I don't even know if it's possible to me, for me to get through this difficult situation. So I want to talk about that question today. How do we get out of a tough situation? What do we do? So today we're going to look at Exodus 14. It's the chapter in the Bible that talks about God parting the Red Sea and the Israelites getting through it. I think it's, it's an exciting chapter. It's an exciting chapter, chapter to see how God gets his people out of a tough situation. And I think the chapter we're going to see in there that God speaks to us, that God wants to get all of us out of some hard situations in our life as well, and that God wants to bring us into freedom. But before I read Exodus 14, before we get to that chapter on parting of the Red Sea, I want us to look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Because, you know, the heart of the book of Exodus is that God is a one true God who keeps his promises. That's kind of the overall theme of Exodus, that God is a true God who keeps his promises. So this is a promise that God made to the Israelites before he parted this Red Sea. God said, therefore, he's, God's telling Moses to say this, Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. So, you know, this isn't just a promise to the Israelites. This is a promise to each of us here. It's a promise to every follower of Jesus Christ that God wants to come into your situation and that he wants to free you from any feeling of slavery or wants to free you from any feeling of oppression in your life. And he wants to do that because God wants us to know that he is the one true God. And God wants to always secure our relationship with him. So today I want to talk about freedom so we can know who God is and to know him better. So let's, let's just pray. Father, I do thank you for this message today. And Father, I pray, Lord, that I would communicate well, Lord, what is on your heart and what you want spoken today. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together. And I thank you for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you would move through this, uh, this body, this community, Lord. Lord, that we can anticipate, Lord, that you want to move in our life. That, Lord, maybe there's people here today that you're just discouraged. And you're thinking, I don't know. I've heard this message before that God wants to do something in my life. And I, I, really, I really don't have faith in it. So, Father, I pray that anybody here that's discouraged today, Lord, that you would encourage them by the power of your Holy Spirit pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the story that leads us up to uh, Exodus 14 of God 
setting the Israelites free from captivity. Some of you know that the nation of Israel, they were in bondage in the nation of Egypt for between 200 and 400 years, depending on how you do the math or read the scriptures. So you have an entire nation that's been in captivity in Egypt. Everybody who's in captivity in Egypt has never lived in freedom. They don't know what it's like to live in freedom. They've always been in bondage. And they cry out to God and they ask God over and over again, would you free us from this situation? So God raises up this man, Moses. Moses is a prophet and God's going to use Moses to, set, to see that the Israelites get out of captivity and they get into the promised land. So God raises up Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh, the king of the, of the Egyptians, and he says to him, God's telling you to let the nation of Israel go. And the king's like, no way, I'm not doing that. I like these slaves here because they do all my manual labor for me. And so Moses and Pharaoh go back and forth through what's called the 10 plagues. Probably most of you have heard the story of the 10 plagues. That's long time to get into that right now, but they go through this, God's, uh, this display of power between God and Pharaoh. And finally, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh says, okay, I had enough of this. I'll let the Israelites go. So the Israelites get to leave Egypt. They're on their way out. They're on their way to the promised land that they've heard about for hundreds of years. And they're excited that they have about a 40-day walk to get out of Egypt and to get into the promised land. And they're walking away and they're all excited. And God decides to take the long route to get them there. You think, who does that? Why in the world this nation's been in captivity their entire life and suddenly now God is going to take the long way to get there? Like, who does that? God wants you to take the short route. But we read in Exodus 13 why God did that. It was a very strategic reason that he took the long way. In Exodus 13, verse 17, it said, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main route that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that way was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, If the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Now that's kind of the last thing you might expect from God, that he is going to lead you in a roundabout way. But God did it for a reason. It's very strategic. And I think you'll see in the book of Exodus that everything that God does is strategic. Everything he does is because there's a well-thought-out plan behind it. And the plan is always for you and for me to get us to a place of freedom. See, this is a situation, all these Israelites, they had lived in captivity their entire life. They have absolutely no idea what it's like to live in freedom. Their life is living in bondage. Their life is being led by a dictator. Their life is being told what to do. They have absolutely no idea how you would live in any freedom. And God knows that the Israelites get out of captivity that they're not going to know how to live. They're not going to know how to enjoy the freedom that God has for them. So God needs to teach them a few lessons. So one of the things that God has to do is he has to teach that nation of Israel how to stand up against their enemies. He needs to teach them how to fight and how to fight for their freedom. Because God knows that if they don't learn how to fight or stand against their enemies, they're going to run back to captivity. So God's plan in Exodus 14 is to teach the Israelites how to stand against the issues that want to overtake them so they can live in freedom and enjoy freedom. So the Israelites are going in this roundabout way to get to their destination. And they set up camp in one location and things look pretty good. But then God says, you know what? I'm going to switch up the plans a little bit. 
I'm going to have you go back into a locate move camp, and you're going to camp between the Red Sea and between the wilderness. Now, if you have any little military sense back at the time, you know that's not a good place to go. See, God actually set them up. He put them in a trap. God trapped them between the Red Sea and the wilderness. And you wonder, why in the world would God do that? Why would God take the Israelites that are on their way to freedom and put them in a location that they're trapped? See, God did it for a really good reason. God did it to draw out the enemy. God wanted the Egyptians to come back after the Israelites. And now that doesn't seem like a good idea at all. God, you let this nation go free, and now you're enticing the Egyptians to come after them. Doesn't seem like a good idea at all. So why is God doing that? See, the thing is, God's plan actually does work. The Israelites go into this place. They get into the place that it appears that they are confused. It appears that they are lost. Pharaoh sees that the uh, Israelites are in this, uh, this vulnerable situation, and he decides, I want the Israelites back. So he sends 600 of his chariots, and he actually says he sends his entire army to go back after the Israelites and capture them. You're all wondering, now God, why would you do such a thing? You said you're going to free this nation, but now you entice the enemy, and the enemy is... Charging after the Israelites. They want them back. And they want them to go back into captivity. Now I'll tell you, some of us, when we, we hear, okay, 600 chariots are coming against the Israelites, we're like, yeah. We, doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But if you're an Israelite, you would be extremely scared. There's over 600 of his best chariots are coming after him, but then it says he sent all of his chariots. See, the, the, the Egyptian army was known to have extremely good chariots and charioteers, the guys that ride on the chariots chasing after you. And they're riding on this chariot, and the guys are able to take their bow and their arrow, and they're able to fight against you. So the Israelites are extremely panicked. God, you, you, you just freed us one day, and now the next day we have this whole army coming against us, and they want us back. And so... So as the, the Egyptians are getting closer to the Israelites, the Israelites start crying out to God to rescue them. But then immediately the Israelites go into a time of complaining. They start saying, God, they say to Moses, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? Why did you do this to us? God, you said you were going to do these good things in my life, but it's not happening. They start doubting God, start doubting his power, doubting his ability, and they get to the point, they said, you know what? It would have just been better if we would have stayed in Egypt the whole time. It would have been better if we never even got out. Why didn't we just stay in Egypt our entire life? And you'd think at that point, Moses would look at these people and say, you know, just knock it off. You've seen the power of God work through the 10 plagues. You'd think that Moses would yell at the people and say, you're nonsense. But Moses doesn't do that. It says he goes to the people and he tells them three things to do. Number one, he says, don't be afraid. They're like, don't be afraid. Okay, that doesn't work that well. But then he gives them a strategy. He said, just stand still and watch the Lord and how he's going to rescue you. That's Moses' advice to these people that are grumbling and complaining and they're nervous and they're scared. They're wondering, how are we going to get out of this difficult situation? Moses' advice is simply this. Stand still and watch what God's going to do for you. 
And then it's interesting, about a verse later, Moses says to the people, he says, okay, now get moving. Like, wait a minute, you just told us to stand still, and now you tell us to get moving. I'm sure the people are a little bit confused, but they're probably thinking, okay, the Israelites are coming full, the, the Egyptians are coming full speed. We'll wait to ask that to Moses a little bit later on. But now God's telling us to get moving. But you know what's interesting? When Moses told the people to get moving, there's no place they could go. The Egyptians are coming one way after them, and the other place in front of them is the Red Sea. They can't move. There's nothing they can do. So God gives his instructions to Moses. He says, Moses, stand up in front of the Red Sea and raise your hands, and that you're going to see the sea is going to part, and you're going to walk right through it. And at that point, I'm sure some of the Israelites thought, why didn't you just tell us that earlier? Why didn't you tell us your plan to rescue us was to part the Red Sea? We've been sitting here going, how are we going to get out of the situation? And you finally tell us. We'll talk about that a little later. Why, why did God wait to tell them? Why didn't he tell them earlier? And so remember too that in, in, when the Israelites got out of Egypt, what God did is he put a cloud in front of the, the whole nation of Israel and said, okay, you follow that cloud all day. This is how you're going to... This is how you will know where you need to go. And when that cloud stops, you're going to stop. And at night, you can't see a cloud. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, put, I'm going to put a pillar of fire in the sky. You're going to follow that. So what does God do? The Egyptians are running towards the Israelites. The Israelites are paused. They can't go through the Red Sea. God takes the cloud in front of the Israelites and puts it behind them. And then he lights it up. The Israelites were probably a little panicked, like, wait a minute. Now you just showed our enemy where we're at. See, it's nighttime. Usually in nighttime back then, you didn't fight because you couldn't see. But suddenly God is going to light up exactly where you are at. And you wonder, God, why would you do that? Why would you do it? It doesn't seem like that's a very strategic move. But the text tells us that the Egyptians never got any closer to the Israelites that night even though the sky was lit up because God stood between the Israelites and their enemy. And then God did part the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked right through it on dry ground. And then when they got through it, God gave instructions to Moses to stand back in front of the sea and pray that it closes and it closed and destroyed all the enemies of the Israelites. And the chapter ends by saying, when the Israelites saw the mighty power of God, they were filled with awe before the Lord, and they put their hope and their faith and confidence in the Lord and his servant Moses. You see, the journey that God took them on was so they would have confidence in who God is and his good plans for them. So what does this story have to do with us? What does God want to teach me through this story, and is it relevant for me today? And I think it's extremely relevant, and I think there's a lot of application from this chapter into our personal lives. See, the book of Exodus is actually a picture of our life with God and the redemptive plan that Jesus wants to do in our life. There's two parts to the book of Exodus. First, you see the nation in captivity, and God gets them out of captivity. That's kind of like a salvation experience that God gets people and brings them into salvation. Then the second part is all about how God delivers the nation of Israel from the Egyptians, that he sets them on a path for restoration and wholeness. And we often refer to this in the church as the sanctification process. So what do we learn? 
See, the very first thing that we learn in Exodus 14 is that God is in control. The very first words out of Exodus 14, verse 1, is then God gave these instructions to Moses. That is the starting point of Exodus 14, that God is in control and that God has a plan. He has a purpose and he has a way that he is going to do things. And so in one way, it's very comforting to know that, God, you are in control of my life and that, God, you have a plan for my life and that you have a purpose for my life and that everything that's happening, Lord, that you're involved in some way. But see, on the other hand, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to rely on the fact that God's in control because sometimes we're like, I don't know if I'd have done it that way. Because you notice that God took the Israelites through a roundabout way. And sometimes when God is doing things in our life that aren't easy to understand, it's easy for us to say, I'm not really sure I like that God's in full control of my life. Because I think I might actually like to have a little bit more control in my own life. Because you see, in chapter 13, it ends with the Israelites. They're all just got out of Egypt. They're camped in a good location. They're on the edge of the wilderness. They're on the way to the promised land. Everything's good. They're probably having good campfires that night. And then the next night, they're between the wilderness and the Red Sea. They're trapped. And the Egyptians are coming after them. And that was God's plan. That was God's plan the entire time that the Israelites would be trapped. And why did God trap the Israelites? Why did he do that? He did it for one very strategic reason. He wanted the enemies to come after the Israelites so he could destroy the enemies. See, sometimes that doesn't make sense why he had to do it that way, but you see, God's very strategic. He wanted to draw the enemies out so they could be defeated. And the truth is, God does that in each of our own lives. That God is often busy in our life drawing out our personal issues that are separating us from God in order that he can defeat those issues in our life. That God is sometimes drawing things out of us so he can set us free. See, we like freedom, we want freedom, but sometimes we get in the situation that in order to have freedom, God has to draw something out of us. And that's what chapter 14 is about, is how God moves to draw the enemy out so we can be set free. See, for us, God often wants to draw out of us maybe bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment or addictions or unbelief or doubt or criticism, that there's a whole list of sometimes things that are in our life that God simply wants to draw out of us so we can walk in freedom. And so sometimes his plans for our lives don't make any sense. It seems like a roundabout way, but we look at the God and what he did in chapter 14 and we see, oh, he is way more strategic than any of us ever thought. That he really is working in life situations that don't really make sense at all. And the second thing we learn from Exodus 14 is do not panic. See, on one hand, we, we love the fact that God is in control, but see, on the other hand, you're like, God, I wish it wouldn't have to be as adventurous. Can it just be a little bit easier of a path? You don't like these highs of enemies running after you and the fear of how you're going to get through. And you see, I'm, 
God, why didn't you just tell the Israelites way in advance what you're up to? Why don't you just say to them, hey guys, I know this, I, I'm just, I'm drawing the enemy out because I want to defeat them. You're going to go right through the Red Sea. Everything's going to work. Why didn't God tell them beforehand? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think one reason that he did not allow, he didn't tell them in advance, I think the Lord wanted the Israelites to panic a little bit. I want, think he wanted to allow them to have a little fear set in their life for two strategic reasons. Number one, to get them to cry out to God. And number two, to get them to complain. Because once they started to complain, you saw what was really in their heart. See, when you look at Exodus 14, verse 5, and I'm going to just kind of jump through reading a few verses so you can kind of see what, what's happening, what led the Israelites to panic. Then we start in verse 5. It says, When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with a force in Pharaoh's army. All of the horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have, we done, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, the question is, if they had never cried out to the Lord, If they had never cried out to the Lord, if they would never I'll get my thoughts straight. So the question is, would they ever have cried out to the Lord to rescue them if Moses was if the Pharaoh wasn't chasing after them? See, part of the reaction of the Israelites is they cried out. But I want to go jump back to Exodus two. This is where you see where God got this whole this whole their whole freedom, the Israelites' whole freedom got started in Exodus chapter two. This is the beginning of their captivity. It said, years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to grow under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. See, one of the main themes of the book of Exodus is that God responds to the cries of his people that God responds to the prayers of his people. That God responds to people when they're in distress and they cry out to him. And maybe it doesn't immediately happen, but God takes notice of the cries and the prayers. And he starts to act right away, but maybe we don't see it right away. And the book of Exodus is that confidence to know that when you pray, God responds. That when you pray, God begins to set in motion a plan to rescue you and a plan to bring redemption to you. But see, also notice the Israelites, they cried out to God. God began his plan of restoration. But notice the Israelites started to complain and ex expose one of the biggest issues of their heart. The last thing they said in their complaints is they basically said, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to get out and live in the wilderness. 
That was the exact same thing in Exodus 13 that God was worried about. He was worried that if the nation of Egypt got out of captivity and they ran into a difficult enemy, they would run right back and say, I want to go back into captivity. And so God drew that enemy out of the people because suddenly their complaining started to reveal what was actually in their heart, that they would prefer to go back into captivity at this point. So God drew that out of the Israelites so they could recognize their biggest threat wasn't the chariots. Their biggest threat wasn't the riders. Their biggest threat wasn't the military. Their biggest threat to the Israelites was that heart issue that it would be better to go back into captivity than follow the Lord. See, that was the battle that was raging is who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Pharaoh or are you going to follow God? And that's what we see happening in Exodus 14. It's the battle between who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Pharaoh or are you going to serve God? And this is often what goes on in our own life. We experience some freedom for our life in Christ, but suddenly things get hard or they difficult and we think, I'll just slide back over here and I'm just going to kind of live in the world for a little longer. Then maybe we slide back in following Jesus and then we go back. And the plan in Exodus 14 is God wants to get you out of that place where you just go back and forth. He wants to destroy your enemies and he wants to do it once and for all. The third thing that we see in Exodus 14 is that God has called us to live by faith. We see Moses said to the people after they complained, and I love the fact that Moses didn't look at the people and say, you just whiners. And just say, you know, you're ridiculous how much you complain. Instead, Moses said to the people, he said to them, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. That's Moses' advice to the people. Just stand still. Just watch what God is going to do for you. Just watch and see how God's going to get you out of this difficult circumstance. And that's a hard thing because we're doers. We're like, no, I got to do something. I got to do something more. And so you constantly want to do something. God's like, no, I'm going to give you a front row seat and you're going to watch me destroy your enemies in front of you. And it's a scary place to be, to be in that front row, to watch how God's going to destroy your enemy. But God says that he repeats Again, he says to the Israelites, he said, the Lord is going to fight this for you. And that's Exodus 14, is that the Lord wants to fight the battle for you. And you just need to sit back and you need to watch God. And that's the fourth thing that God wants us to learn, is to watch God move. Don't know what that is. So this final scene had to be incredibly powerful to watch. You know, seriously, I, I, I seriously hope this, that there's some like reenactment room in heaven where we get to reenact the parting of the Red Sea. I think it would be a phenomenal experience to actually know what that was like. I think we're so used to this little parting of the Red Sea kind of in, we tell in children's church. I don't think we realize what it was really about and what it would have felt like to be there at the time. You know, it's kind of a remarkable story I got so excited about that story. I don't even know where I am anymore. Actually, I was kind of thinking, I bet they could do that at Disney. <laughs> I mean, how? All right. Totally lost train of thought. See, 
See, I think the beautiful thing about Exodus 14 is that what God's strategy is to take the Israelites through the Red Sea. See, the Israelites are standing there thinking, we'll never get out of this situation. We'll never get out of it. But God said, no, the biggest obstacle in front of you is the Red Sea, and I'm going to take you right through it. And I think for us, a lot of times we look at obstacles in our life and we think, God, would you create a strategy for me to get around it? Or would you give me a strategy to uh, just ignore it? And a lot of times we like to do that in our own life. We like to live with some of the issues in our own life and we like to get along with the issues in our own life. And God's like, I'm not going to do that for you. I want to destroy your enemies. I want you to walk right through the biggest issue in your life so you can see that issue in your life defeated. And so in Exodus 14, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. And again, we go back to that, God, how can we move? There's no place that we can go right now. We are stuck. How can you ask me to move? See, I think what God is saying to the nation of Israel, it's time to activate your faith. You can't move physically, but you can move in your heart. It's time sometimes we need to get in a place that we say, okay, God, I trust that you can get me out of the situation. I don't know how you're going to get out of the situation, but God, I trust you. And I think that's what God is saying by saying, it's time to get moving. It's time to put some action to the faith that's inside of you. And I know that's a difficult thing to say because a lot of us have been discouraged in life by circumstances. And you're like, Jack, I don't have the ability to have faith that God can supernaturally move a sea in front of me. And if you're here today, and that's a legitimate reason, but I'm praying, and our prayer is that we're praying for all of you that we would begin to have an expectation that maybe an obstacle in your life that you've asked God to remove, that maybe this would be the season. Or maybe some of you have held on to expectations that you had in your life, but they really weren't from God but you become disappointed in your life because things didn't happen how you thought they were going to happen. And that actually wasn't God's plan for your life. I talked about that with our son, Nick. How we had thought that he would be healed by age six. Oh, he thought he'd be healed by the age six, and he wasn't. God never said he's going to heal him by age six. That's a great plan that we came up with. <laughs> Super if it would have worked. But it's one of those roundabout plans. It's not happening on my timeline. And it's easy to get discouraged by these things that you've set up in your heart. Yeah, it's going to happen this way, and it doesn't. So I think that's part of finding freedom is finding God's expectation and God's timeline. That we don't get trapped in a mentality, maybe like the Israelites saying, why are you taking me on this route? It'd be so much easier if you'd have just done it in 40 days. So I'm praying that our hearts would grow in anticipation that God can move in our lives and do something that maybe we don't expect that he could. So in chapter 16, or verse 16, it picks up, and God says to Moses, pick up your staff, raise your hands over the seas, divide the waters so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord." 
Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelites' camp. As darkness fell, the clouds turned to fire, lighting up the night, but the Israelites and the, the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind, all night turning the seabed into dry land. It's interesting to me that God could have spoke and said, let the sea part and let the ground be dry. He could have done that. But what God chose to do was to use wind to part the sea and to dry the ground. He used a strong east wind to blow the sea open and to dry the ground. See, none of us would doubt that God did a miracle here, that God parted the sea using the wind, using natural elements. But I think it's easy in our own life to discount or maybe not see some miracles that God does in our own life because it's easy for us to put an explanation to them. You could look at Exodus 14 and say, God didn't really do anything. It was just coincidence that Moses stood there and just so happened a wind came and blew through there. You think that sounds ridiculous, but we easily do that in our life. We're in a hard situation. There's no way out. And then we think, oh yeah, I see how that worked. It's just coincidence that happened. But the whole time God's like, did you see what I did for you? And I think sometimes we ignore it. I think sometimes we explain it medically. Well, it just happened and one day I was there maybe it was a mistake and it was gone the next day I remember with Nick Nick was a year or so he'd have tubes in his ears like dang we didn't want to go through that Nick's happy place was the swimming pool or bathtub and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed he wouldn't need tubes in his ears we went the day before he's gonna get tubes in his ears you know that pre-checkup thing and they do the little ear scan and they're like this kid doesn't need tubes he just doesn't need tubes and the doctor said well you know blah, 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 whatever the reason was, x-ray and stuff. And it's easy to walk away from that situation. Remember that. Easy to walk away thinking, oh yeah, the x-ray was wrong one week and now it's right there. Right but sometimes God moves in a powerful way. And we don't even notice it because we're so busy trying to rationalize how it happened. I think part of Exodus 14 is help us to remember to look for God in mysterious ways, but also how God uses natural things to create a way out for us in our life. I have no idea how much wind power would have to blow a sea open. That's some, I looked a lot and I saw a lot of people estimate this red seas between 20 and 30 feet deep. I have no idea how fast wind would have to blow to blow that open, but also to dry the ground under it. But I would have to imagine that it had to be extremely powerful. See, I remember when we lived in Florida, probably this, when we'd have hurricanes come through and go over our house, the scariest part of the hurricane is when the back right side of the hurricane was over your area. That's the loudest part of a hurricane. And I'll tell you, the scariest part of the hurricane is not the wind. It's not the rain. It's the noise. It's incredibly noisy when wind is blowing at hundreds of miles per hour. That was the absolutely scariest, eeriest part of a hurricane is just listening to the wind. It sounds like there is a freight train circling your house at 150 miles per hour, and it is scary. So I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be an Israelite at that day. To see that cloud of fire in the sky right there lighting everything up so the enemy knows where you're at, 
And in the other hand, you're listening to the, the, the noise of this wind blow the sea open to dry the ground under it. It had to be terrifying. I think it had to be extremely scary to be standing there going, we're going to walk through this. We got an enemy there. I think we sometimes don't see the, 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 just the, the, the emotions that had to be running through the Israelites. But see, also at the same time, I think it's interesting because the Israelites have a, they have a pattern of complaining. And the Bible has a pattern of telling us when they complain. But we never hear right now that the Israelites complained. See, I think for the Israelites, they finally caught on at this point to stand firm and to watch to see what God's going to do. So they didn't let doubt come at this time. They didn't let, they didn't let um, their, their fear come right now. But instead, when they stood back and they watched, they began to saw, see how the Lord was going to part the Red Sea, and they watched it. It wasn't until the Israelites walked in some level of faith that they began to see God move with power. And I know that the Israelites were calm because in verse 22, it says, so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with, wa with walls of water on each side. See, if they were nervous, they were scared, they would have ran through it. But also if they were nervous or scared, they would have started going through it when it was muddy. And if they would have walked through when it was muddy, it would have took them a whole lot longer to get through. Could you, the, most commentators I read thought it took them probably six hours to walk through the Red Sea. Could you imagine if you were walking through and it was just mud? I don't know how much longer. I'd say that probably at least take you double the time maybe. But see, sometimes we got to wait. And I'm sure those Israelites were anticipating, let's go now. But no, sometimes you got to wait for the opportune time to walk through. Then in, pick up in verse 23, it says, Then the Egyptians, all the Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked out on the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. I love that verse. See, when your enemy's coming after you, when your issues are coming after you, when these things of your past are coming after you, that you're like, why is that stirring up again? I thought that was defeated in my life. Sometimes when these things are stirring themselves up to come against you, this is what God wants to do for you. He just wants that old self of yours just to come into confusion so they're not able to chase you down. And then it goes on to say, God twisted the chariot's wheels, making the chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then all the Israelites had reached the other side. The Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the waters rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. All of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses.
See, the God who parted the Red Sea to set the Israelites free from their enemies is the same God who wants to part any obstacle or any issue that is in our life. The same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God who wants to set us free. And we talk a lot about freedom in 2019, about finding freedom and experiencing freedom. But we have to be up for an adventure because sometimes God is going to take us on a roundabout way because God's not just interested in going around our enemy or around our issue. God's not interested in teaching us how to cope with our issues or how to get along with our struggles, but God wants to see our struggles defeated in this year. So the question I have for you is, what is the Red Sea in your life? What issue is it in your life that God wants you to march through and to destroy in your life? Maybe some of you haven't given that much thought, or maybe some of you have thought, yeah, I have a Red Sea in my life. I don't know if I have the faith that God can lead me through it. I'm asking you to pray about that this week and see how the Lord would speak to you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to have faith, to believe that God can do what God wants to do. And that we'd have the confidence to stand back and be still and to watch God move in 2019. That we would be up for the adventure. That we would be up for the freedom that he wants to bring into our life. And while he's doing all of that, I pray for any of you that are just living with discouragement saying, I don't know if he's really would do that for me. That you'd be encouraged today. That you might leave here today with a new expectation that God can and will do something in your life. But we all need to learn how to sit back and to watch God do amazing things.